This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you early on a Saturday morning. Early on a Saturday morning. So so everything just keeps getting later and later and later in COVID land. Um, Because we used to record this podcast on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays. Yeah. (laughs) This is really. Anyway, what is astonishing you this week? I am astonished by my child, my six-year-old Matthew. Just yesterday, um, he was in my office. My wife had this super important Zoom meeting with her company, and so I needed to keep him isolated from her. She had to do this presentation. So we were in my office. He was playing with his Legos on the floor. And I was working on uh, sermon and things for Sunday. And when I write, I have a hard time sitting. And so I pace. And Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm pacing the floor in between bookcases in my office and going back and forth, walking past him and his Legos, pacing, pacing, pacing. And finally, he asked, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out what to say in the video for church on Sunday. And my child immediately said, Daddy, just say the name of Jesus. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit said, and you're welcome. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, that, that is my call to worship, right? He's been given a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it also made me so grateful um, because in this this COVID season, in this um, season of spending so much time at home and not in the um, in the in the in the company of other communities and institutions like church and school, you wonder, you know, how your child is being formed, how yeah. your child is being shaped, and. When he said that, it, there was such um, grace and and um, relief for me. I thought, oh, he, he is getting something. I mean, that, it was so beautiful and so powerful and so true that as a parent, it, it just melted my heart. And so I'm just astonished by the work of God in my child in spite of my poor parenting and pastoring. First of all, you are neither a poor parent nor a poor pastor. Um, And as someone who has a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 4-year-old, I just, I'm just glad you're savoring these moments. (laughs) (laughs) um, Because my kids are great, are great, are great. And Um, it's really interesting when they get older and this is just, I mean, and you and I are so different because we did not grow up in the church. So Mm -hmm. we did not grow up with parents who are, were were trying to pass faith down. And, and now your parents are believers and my parents, as far as I know, are not. (laughs) um, 
But so it's just so interesting for me to imagine what it's like for them to make sense of all of this because their context is so, so different than mine. And, um, and it's really interesting for me to watch my older girls and just, um, like they know these words and they know these ideas, but, um, like they haven't had a chance to question them. And so until you question them, you can't claim them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a really, um, it's interesting. Like yesterday, Callie was helping me record my sermon in the sanctuary and, um, you know, and afterwards she was like, that was a good sermon, mom. And I, I was just interesting. Cause I, I mean, I know the love behind that and I know the genuineness, but I also am like, and not because I have any fears for her eternal soul. Like I trust the Lord with, with my girls, but it's just, it's really interesting to wonder, um, where she is and you know what she has words for even whatever her own awareness is um but I do think you know at that age when they're so little um I yeah just there are just times when they open their mouths and they just say the most profoundly beautiful faithful things and it's um yeah it's really interesting so that's yeah, exciting. it was a gift. It was a real gift. That's really beautiful. Well, that's great. So um, what's well, astonishing I, you today, this week? So I think, um, so this week started off um, a, um, a little bit challenging. On Sunday night, I got an, an email from somebody in the church, and we host um, an NA group, and... Um, our whole campus is completely shut down, but we made an exception for the Narcotics Anonymous group because I mean, we definitely understand just the life-saving nature of that work. And so, you know, they signed a new covenant about how they were going to do things. Um, and, you know, anytime you do any kind of ministry, there's just risk involved. And so um, I got an email on Sunday night that somebody had been injured in the church, not seriously, objectively not seriously but you know they were um you know in my opinion um kind of uh i mean they, they decided to go to the emergency room and then to do a follow-up and they were saying like you know i expect all my bills to be paid and i'm taking days off work and i you know and it just i mean on the one hand i i understand that um when people are hurt, they, they need to do what they need to do in order to protect themselves. And also, I understand that um, a lot of the folks who come into our community are people who um, have been really just disrespected and treated as disposable by the larger society. And so I just understand that, um, that need to, to seek out the very best um, care and protection for yourself. And so, I mean, just the whole thing, you know, a part of my mind is just like spinning, 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 like, you know, how many thousands of dollars is this going to cost us? And are we going to get sued? And how are we going to handle it? And, and then the other part of my mind, really, which I would attribute to the Holy Spirit is just sort of saying, you know, breathe and trust, and this is going to be okay. And, you know, it's really important that we continue to um, model who we are in relationship with this person and not let our fear or our, our sense that we need to protect 
what belongs to God, you know, turn this into an adversarial relationship. Anyway, so it's really interesting. So, you know, over the course of the week, there's just been a lot of intense um, emails and calls and, you know, a lot of anxiety and, um, and I've, and I have been trying to hold steady and and trust. And it's just been really interesting. And I've been astonished just to see God's provision as, as the days go on that um, we have um, somebody who's a, um, just a huge um, friend to me in the church, who's a lawyer and, you know, reached out and he was like, you know, Hey, I can help. I'll help you get this settled and I'll help protect everything. And, um, and you know, the, the person who was injured got their first, um, got the emergency room bill and called and said like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so sorry. I had no idea it was going to be this expensive. I wasn't even there that long. They didn't even do that much for me, you know, anything for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't need to pay my lost wages. And then it's also, so that was helpful just to see that change of heart. And then also, um, we got an unexpected gift, um, there was a um, group of um, like teenagers who were playing basketball during the pandemic and they just had nowhere to practice. And so we let them practice in our gym. Um, And we had not, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in when we use our, share our building, that that's a, um, that that needs to come, that needs to be done in the economy of God in like the kingdom culture and not in the world culture. So we're not, we're not landlords. We're not renting anything. Like we're gift, we're partnering with you. We're gifting this to you. Um, and so we, you know, we had not charged them anything. And one of the dads was found out because it's the end. And he was like, what you can't do that. You can't get something for nothing. And so just made a, a, a significant gift that is almost exactly the amount of this emergency room bill. And so I just, um, it's just been really good just to notice and to pay attention, you know, and, um, theologically that, you know, all week I've been saying like, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I need to hold steady here. I need to trust like God has provided and like all the money belongs to God. And, and how can we remember that even in this really tense, um, sort of threatening situation, that's our job to model the values of the kingdom especially to this person um, and to not respond in a way and and just to see, you know, all week long, I've been saying like, I'm not going to worry about money because God owns all the money. And, um, and so just to see this come together and to be able to say like, this isn't, I, I don't think it's random. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that this is God's God providing for God's people to do God's mission. And I just really want to choose to be astonished by that and not to just like flip the page and move on to the next crisis, but to really notice that like, remember on Sunday night when it all seemed like it was spinning out of control and now it's Saturday morning and you see like, oh, everything that we have needed to be faithful in this situation has been provided to us. And that um, is the goodness of God. And, and, it's just really important when we allow, I think, should, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us out beyond the places where we can control and to, to lead us to take um, risks that glorify the kingdom of God. And then that when we get into those spaces, God provides. Um, so I'm astonished at that provision. I'm rejoicing in it and celebrating it and really 
in ways that are very respectful to everyone's privacy, I really want to tell that story because I think it's really important. And I think when we tell ministry, quote, success stories, it's really important to center um, the hero, which is not the pastor or the elders. It's God. Like, God did this. God showed us how to respond. And God has provided. And um, it's just thanks be to God. So that's what I'm astonished That about. is amazing. It does. And I think you're exactly right. The next step is to celebrate it. uh, Mm -hmm. Because so often, especially in smaller, probably also medium-sized churches, a lot of the reports uh, that you get, a lot of the conversation um, is about who's sick, who's in the hospital. It's about need, right? And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes, a lot of times, uh, too often, when we see the great and wonderful and holy, miraculous provision of God, we are grateful, genuinely grateful. Uh, but at least in my context, I don't think we, we, um, we soak in the celebration uh, enough uh, because there will, there will be another crisis, right? Correct. And that celebration Correct. will enable us to once again, trust God for provision. And I mean, it's, and, I mean, that's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And that's how we can have the, hey, not to whittle down the mission into something that seems reasonable or manageable. And so that's really, really important. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think it's really, it's just critical because I, I think for the beginning of my ministry, um, and, you know, Lisa Coons in a very loving way when she was my spiritual director called me out on this, that like one of the things that makes you feel like you're a responsible pastor is to worry. And so there are just times and seasons where you just like carry the weight of the church on your back like a snail. And it feels like putting it down, trusting God sometimes when you live in this consumer, you know, culture of capitalism, trusting God seems like not caring. And so just to learn that actually worrying and despairing is not, I mean, it's not faithful. And that's not to like, I don't mean not faithful, like, oh, you're a terrible, bad person. How horrible of you. I just mean like that, that might be what caring looks like in the culture, but that's not what caring looks like in the culture of the kingdom of God. And so there has to be a way that, you know, it's not that we become, you know, people who don't discern or who, who are insignificant or who are unaware of risks or, you know, potential problems. But we learn to be able to say, you know, to take the worry and the anxiety out of the equation because fear and anxiety and worry um, often um, contort us into being unfaithful, taking shortcuts and being unfaithful and just being like, well, this isn't what I want to do, but it's what I have to do to protect the church. And so to be able to say like, no, 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 like this is God's church. And if it needs protecting, God will protect it. And, um, you know, if we save the church by betraying the mission, we haven't saved it. So anyway, I'm just really celebrating. I'm really grateful yeah, that's fantastic. for the provision and, um, and just for the opportunity to walk through this. Again, one thing that I'm working on is, um, you know, making sure that we widen the circle of leadership so that when we're going through all this stuff, there are more people involved and seeing because it's just really important. I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff until, you know, God led me through it several times. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of 
traditions other than ours that have a lot of wisdom about, you know, the pastor doesn't do anything alone. And the reason isn't like, oh, because the pastor's so important, blah, blah, blah. The reason is because, you know, that's how you learn ministry is by being in the room, boom, boom, when it happens and seeing, you know, so anyway. Well, let me say one last uh, word about this, because I think it's fantastic. Um, You know, one of the reasons I love the book of Acts is like um, on almost every page, you get this sense of the early church being aware and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And this sense of, oh, we could not do this if it were not for the Holy Spirit. And uh, my coach, Tom Bandy, said to me once, he said, Yolando, the, the challenge for many churches, many congregations, including yours, is to see beyond what they can do in their own strength. They feel like yeah. they can accomplish it yeah. with their own resources. They'll go for it. But what they need is this confidence that comes from knowing that God is with them, that God is truly in the congregation leading and empowering. Yeah. No, I mean, a a thousand percent. And I remember when we were in the Transformation Pilot Project, they would, you know, they would talk like this and it just all sounded like jargon. It all sounded like, like a cheap motivational poster that would be on the wall of the office, right? Like I was like, whatever, get over yourself. But I mean, I really understand that you, for, I think it is life-changing to really think like, what is my ecclesiology? Like, is my understanding of the church, is the church as a place where we do things for God or is the church the place where God redeems the world? And and whichever way you understand the church is gonna fundamentally alter Absolutely. how you mission. And so it's really important. And again, I think as um, you know, our denomination, the PCUSA, because it is historically a majority, you know, white upper middle class i mean we are people who have a lot of agency in the world and so the thing that on the surface makes the most sense is hey let's just use all this agency for god um and what that means is we never go out into the space where we do things that are beyond our agency and and our experience um in this in the quote secular world teaches us that our agency is quite effective and so that you know that's the big big challenge um so you say like we can continue to you know be in relationship with the na even though you know they don't have an insurance you know even though there's no like we can still do this because the reality is what what would what does faithfulness to jesus look like does it look like supporting people who are trying to be resurrected from the possession of addiction why yes it does and if that's what being faithful to Jesus looks like, then that's what we need to do. And we need to trust God to give us wisdom and discretion to put up healthy boundaries and communicate right expectations. And also when things go wrong and they will, (laughs) that God will provide for all of us and that it will be something that will actually be an opportunity that um, strengthens and grows all of us so that all of these crises and problems really do become gifts because they become opportunities where we can grow and get seasoned in our faith so yeah it's 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 an astonishing life we have fantastic so kate what are you thinking about this week 
<laughs> well, Yolanda. There, there are a few things on the news. <laughs> um, so I have been thinking a lot about, and I know you've been thinking about it too, just the news about um, the president and first lady and many of their um, key advisors and allies testing positive for coronavirus. And, um, you know, um, watching everyone process this news, like it's, um, it's very complicated. Um, and so on the one hand, um, it is clear that whether we feel that the president of the United States is our brother, our friend, our leader, our neighbor, or our enemy, our relationship to Jesus Christ means that we pray. <laughs> and we pray for the goodness of God to be manifested in the lives of our brothers, our friends, our neighbors, our leaders, and our enemies. And so um, I, you know, I know that that is my call and I know that that is goodness. Um, and I know that th these are um, the weapons that we fight with, truth, mercy, goodness, love. Um, and so that's really important. Um, and I know this week I have had um, four um, very raw, vulnerable, tearful conversations over, um, you know, either through email, text, or in person with um, people I love who um, are people of color who are um, shattered and terrified um, because at the presidential debate on Tuesday night, they heard the president of the United States tell um, an armed terrorist hate group to stand by. And they know that the people who align themselves with that hate group, um, um, their stated mission is to steal, kill, and destroy black and brown lives. And so um, I really... Um, understand that the president is, in my opinion, um, my very human opinion, is possessed by a spirit of fear and enmity and hatred that is um, deeply threatening to people I love and honor. And, and, you know, and I think it's really interesting that after the debate, you know, a lot of my white friends were just talking about what a disgrace it was and both sides, and, you know, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, my black friends, um, people of color were saying like, this is not a like, oh, this is a disgrace. This is, did you hear my life get threatened by the president of the United States on national television? And, 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 and it's so easy for white people to just kind of not hear it and just be like, oh, it's just words. Like it's not, it's disgraceful. It's terrible, but it's just words. And, and when those words um, are directed at the skin of you and your loved ones, it's not just words anymore. And that I think is just really difficult for white people to understand that like, why, why don't you feel, I mean, and I particularly, I mean, obviously like white people who, who do not agree with the president's agenda, but, we, but, you know, even, even those who, of us who feel like we're on the, on the quote, same side, I mean, it isn't, the threat level is not the same. The risk level is not the same. And so, um, you know, I mean, the question always is how, how do you stand in solidarity 
um, with people whose lives are at stake. Um, and also um, live um, in the way of Jesus Christ, which means not to say, I mean, I understand why it's not a given for everyone to be able to say like, oh, I'm going to drop to my knees and pray for this president. It's, it's hard. And that's why I think, you know, for some of us who don't carry as big of a burden, like we need to do the praying and we need to do none of the shaming for people who say, I can't, it, it's just not that easy for me. And I, I understand that it is, it is way easier for me because the president is not going on national television, making threats against my children. Um, but he, but he is against yours. And so, you know, I know that you and I both believe that, that the posture of the believer is, to pray good and redemption and resurrection for all people, even, and especially our enemies. And, um, you know, just, there are times when, when bodies, different parts of the body of Christ need to care for one another and we have different, you know, ministries that we can do. So I'm thinking about all, all of that. Is that all? That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have wonderfully and graciously um, set the table um, for my perspective because um, I'm I'm wrestling with it. Um, I have I have prayed for the president, but I have not prayed for recovery. I have prayed for repentance, uh, but not for recovery. And um, you know, my thoughts go to the Book of Exodus when plagues were falling on Pharaoh and Egypt, I don't think um, Moses was saying, boy, I, I wish, you know, these frogs would go away. I wish, you know, this plague would go away. It's no, I, I, I pray that Pharaoh would soften his heart, would um, repent, would turn to God. And so that's, that's where I am. Um, I, also, you know, my thoughts go to, um, and, and I know this is, this is going to be hard for some, but I, my thoughts go to Miriam, where, you know, when Pharaoh was drowned and the army of Egypt was drowned in the sea, and she took out a tambourine and started singing. Now, let me clarify. I am not saying I'm singing and rejoicing over the president's illness. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that there is a kind of there there is a kind of grace in it. Because like a lot of people of color after the debate, I was very troubled uh, by his signaling uh his overt yeah. <laughs> signal sig signaling to uh white supremacists. And was wondering, okay, so okay, so we we have we have seen this movie, right? Yeah. Throughout slavery, threat of violence, the lynching tree, Jim Crow. Here we are again. It's like okay, so and, and there's just a, a a tightness, right? And so this is a um, almost a uh, better than celebration because celebration it really is the wrong word, and I don't. In, intend that at all, but there is a sigh of relief, right? It's like, okay, um, 
there, there, there is a sense of, and I know this is going to be hard for some to understand, just as you were saying a moment ago, um, and talking about God's provision in, mm-hmm. in your church, there is a sense of here, God's protection, like we are not abandoned. We are not um, uh, defenseless. And we do not have to fight with the world's weapons. I don't know if you heard the story on the news yesterday about the record number of gun permits in Mecklenburg County that so many, they can't process them all. They're coming in so fast. And the sheriff of Mecklenburg County was interviewed. And he said, this is all about one thing, fear. This is Mm -hmm. about fear. And so um, the president's words during the debate for a whole lot of us were meant to make us afraid. Sure. I mean, to say to to the Proud Boys, stand, stand down and stand by, and then a couple sentences later, go to the polls and make sure there's no fraud. And, you know, we know that for many people, the frown boy in those organizations, the idea that every American citizen has the right to vote is inherently fraudulent to them. Right. So again, like, I think it's just for, for white people, it's really hard to understand. It's really easy to dismiss things as hysterical because for us, the institutions and the systems have always been by design they haven't always worked perfectly but they've been designed to protect us and by and large they have and what we don't understand is that it has not worked that way for our our friends and colleagues who don't have white skin and and you know for us that's kind of a fact in a textbook and for people who are not white it's a lived experience and i also think you know, white Americans who've been raised on a sanitized, scrubbed version of American history, you know, we have this idea that like, well, we're getting better and better, and we're always getting better and better. And so, we, you know, what happened in the past is in the past, and it'll never happen again. And, and again, we don't even know what happened in the past, A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and B, you know, people who have always been the victim of white people's faith in the system don't are a not not encouraged by the system and b not don't feel protected by white people's reflective reflexive faith in it right because the system has oft has always worked to steal kill and destroy black and brown people's lives and so when white people are like don't be hysterical that won't happen which is what i hear like i Mm -hmm. i do see you know because it was so incredible and because people feel like it's not that the news isn't talking about it, but like it's, it's being mentioned as one thing in a series of things, instead of saying like, do you understand? He just told the people who firebomb, firebomb houses to stand by. Do you understand that that's not the same as, as even as shattering as it was to hear him like make fun of Biden's son who died and belittle his son who's battling addiction that's terrible and it's not the same 
as telling a group of people who believe they have a license to kill to stand by. I mean, it's not the same. And it's not this, I mean, that one is about decency and one is about an actual threat against lives. And I, and I, and I think it's true. White people don't understand. We can't understand. And when, and, and I've seen this happen so many times this week that friends of mine who, who normally don't, people in my community who normally don't talk or post about politics have said, I have to tell people that if you vote for this man, you know, I believe that you are endangering my life and the life of my children. And then I, I watch the response that these people get who, who are being very vulnerable and saying like, I am afraid. And if you care about me, I need you to understand that I am afraid. And, and the response, not the, all the response, but a lot of the responses, stop being hysterical. Nothing's going to happen to you. I've experienced racism too. You know, and it's so interesting that, that, you know, people just can't hear it. And it was so interesting. One of my friends posted something and she, she never did, but she said like, look, you need to understand what this means to me and what it means to my sons and my parents. And, and she said, if you're going to vote for him, just go ahead and unfriend me. Cause we're not friends. We're not friends. If you are going to vote for a man who told white supremacists to stand by. And she said, you know, she posted it. And at the beginning of the day, she had 500 friends. And at the end of the day, she had 300. And I mean, it's just interesting. Like on the one hand, and you know, some people were like, engaging her and like shaming her and telling her she was hysterical and other people just were like okay you're right and like I hate that but I also really understand that like all these people are posting memes like this is Bob and this is Sally and Bob is a Republican and Sally is a Democrat and Bob and Sally can still be friends because Bob and Sally are adults yes in normal times it is completely possible to be friends with someone who has a different philosophy of government. But when somebody's philosophy of government is, sometimes you just have to break heads of black and brown people who don't comply, then it's not an adult thing. It's not a sign of maturity to say like, oh, that's your opinion. People who look like me have to die, but we can still be friends. I mean, you can't, you can't shame people and say they're being immature because they don't want to be friends with people who are cavalier about the risk to their lives. That's not to say, I mean, I, I, I mean, the, the kicker of it all is, you know, many people who support this administration really sincerely wholeheartedly believe that it's no risk to anybody. And so I get it. You believe that, but also, you know, it's one more insidious way that white supremacy works that white people feel like they know better what it's like to live as a person of color in America than actual people of color do like that. That's just, it's just a really, really, really hard season. Um, so when I pray for the president, I, you know, it's easier for me to do it. So it's no, it's no call to my, you know, morality. Um, but I also worry that like, I don't want people I care about to feel like that's a betrayal of of them um because it's not but i get that it's hard it's really hard um and i mean to your point about moses not praying for pharaoh and the plagues i mean like every single time a plague came 
Pharaoh would call him into the throne room and say, I'm sorry, please take it away. And that's exactly what Moses would do, was pray for the plague to be taken away yes. every every single time. And I just was rereading that story recently. And like, it's really hard to read right now as a person who lives in America and to read just the cycle of again and again, this, this huge sign for the Lord comes. And again and again, Pharaoh says, oh, I repent. I'm sorry, I'll let the people go. Just take this away. And it's taken away. And then Pharaoh says, huh, fooled you. And it happens again and again. And like, I mean, do I see overtones? Yes, yes, I wish I didn't. But yes, yes, I do. And it's ter- it's terrifying. So these are hard days. And it's important to remember that we are beloved children of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is not under threat. The kingdom of God is not at stake. So what are you thinking about? <laughs> oh, the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, my, my mind, uh, you know, so much this week has been on, uh, the president's comments um, at the um, debate about white supremacists, and so yes, you you and I are thinking about the same thing this week. So, yeah, nothing further to add. It, it's other than just like you were saying a moment ago um, about the situation in your church, about trusting God, just trusting even though trust feels like you're being irresponsible. Trust feels like you're not really doing anything in this season with this, um, in this political context, trust is required. And so sometimes it means listen, when you'd rather speak. It means be still when you'd rather act. Um, Because God is at work. God is at work. And I don't claim that God is on my side. I'm ever seeking to be on God's side. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. But that that's part of the work in this season. And I think that that saying is so helpful to remember that I'm, I, I have to, in humility, know that I, that God might not be on my side. Hmm. And I know that God is, has poured out life's blood for everybody on every side. And I know that God has a side. Right. I mean, so it's not like, you know, do, do I think that God is equally and equally in love with everyone who's a member of the Proud Boy organization and everyone whose lives are threatened and broken by them? Yes. I believe that God equally loves victims and perpetrators. And what I know from reading the scripture is that God is on the side of the victims. I mean, I know that like, it's not like it's indifferent to God whether or not people firebomb houses. It's not. Do I know that God loves the people who throw the firebombs? Yes. But do I think that, you know, 
God is like, well, you know, I mean, it's a matter. I mean, no, like they were scared. I mean, no, if you read the prophets, God is not, God loves the people, but God is not indifferent to their choices to exploit, cheat, you know, codify injustice, exchange the truth for a lie, break the bones of the poor. Like God does not think that's cute. God has a side. And God shows up and says, I'm bringing judgment against this land. And it is because no one has been on the side of the poor and powerless. And so God shows up and says, oh, I'm on the side of the poor and the powerless. And, and that's, you know, last week we preached Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and, and I was looking at the Pharaoh stuff. And, you know, the common thread in that is you have Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh. And what they say is like, who's going to make me let these slaves go? Who has the power? You know, you have these leaders who whose lived experience is I have ultimate power and ultimate authority and mm-hmm. everyone has to do what I say. And what I say is the absolute law that that's the lived experience of those leaders. Uh, but it isn't true. <laughs> and, and the answer is, you know, who's going to let who, who, you know, who is your God to let make me let the slaves go? I mean, the God of all creation. I mean, so, I mean, this idea that like, I don't, I take zero joy in anyone's pain and suffering and um, God won't be mocked. Mm. And that's a terrifying thing because. And it's hard to hold those two together. Yes. Very hard. Mm-hmm. And and I think for so many people who I think have been seduced to being on the wrong side, you know, it's this idea that like, well, you know, both sides, all things being equal, God loves everybody. So I'm free to do what's in my best interest. And the reality is, no, you're, you're not, you're not free to do what's in your best interest. If what you believe is in your best interest is to steal and deny justice to the poor and powerless. Like that's not, that is not Adi Afron. (laughs) That, you know, are you free to keep kosher or not keep kosher? Absolutely. Are you free to deny someone justice? Absolutely not. And um, you know, eventually God intercedes, but I take no, I don't want, I'm, I've read enough of the prophets to know, like, I don't want to be around on the day of the Lord. Like, I'm like very terrified. (laughs) I, I understand that my hands are not clean. I understand that. And I, and I am just praying for mercy and compassion and deliverance for everyone and especially myself. So, yeah. And I think, um, the word for this season is repentance. It's, I think God is just calling for repentance. And if there's a place of grief for me in all of this, it's, it's to see this life lived so much for self and for gain and to not only participate in and promote, but to embody uh, injustice. And so I'm I'm praying for um, the presidents and the country's repentance. Right, and I do think, I mean, we've been talking a lot about Pharaoh, we need to let it go. But um, I mean, it's interesting because the other part of that story that we haven't talked about is, you know, God was hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I, and I never know what to make of that, right? But I, I do think it's interesting that for so many people, we want all the focus to be on this one man as if, as if everything is the responsibility and the fault of this one man. And, and part of me wonders if like God 
you know, what does that mean? Like, cause it's a whole well, system. People I was going to say, yes, there was a system. So that meant that not only Pharaoh and his family, but a whole bunch of people benefit, benefited from cruelty to Israel. Right. right? Um, so yeah. pyramids were being built to honor Pharaoh, but it gave a sense of esteem to the whole nation. Well, and right? I mean, like, I'm sure the contractors were doing all right, right? That's I mean, right. I'm just saying, yeah. like, and so then I, there, I, there was a priestly class that they yeah. benefited, right? And so, yes, there is a system. And and so what what the what the system seeks to do, and it gets embodied in Pharaoh, it's to say to some group or some groups of people, listen. Stay in your place, right? Because there's a, there's there's something at stake for all of us, and so for many people, even though they may not be in Pharaoh's seat, they may be a couple of notches down, but they think it's in their interest. They the system tells them it's in their interest to keep these Hebrew slaves in slavery. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because recently I'm working slowly um, on some materials for a small group that we want to small groups that we want to launch in November and um been working with do you know Gail Henderson so I I just she's an amazing woman she's at Caldwell right now um and and we're working together on creating this resource and so I am a white woman and she is a black woman and one of the the stories that we're using is this this story of Moses going to Pharaoh and and we were just talking through it one day and it was so interesting to this whole conversation. Cause I was saying like, you know, who I identify with in the story, like who I grieve in the story instinctively. And I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling the truth is I've my whole life. I have always felt bad for the soldiers who were drowned in the red sea. And, and she's like that. She's like, you know, Kate, never in my life have I felt that way as, as an African-American woman, I have always felt, you know, extreme joy and deliverance in that well, moment. And, there, and there's a spiritual, there, there's yeah, an I mean, old spiritual that says, Mary, don't you weep? Martha, don't you moan? Because Pharaoh's army, don't you know they've been drowned in the Red Sea? And it's, that's a song that we've been singing for generations and generations. Anyway, right. go ahead. No, I, I just think it's fascinating that for all these years, I mean, as a white American, not with any theology classes, not with any, like that I have always instinctively identified with the empire and not, you know, and not in a way that like, it wasn't unclear in my mind what justice was. It wasn't unclear in my mind that, that God was good. And, for, you know, not, that was not at stake. It's not like I thought anything was unfair. I just really identified with these people who were just following orders and ended up drowned in the Red Sea. And, and, I, and it's always troubled me. And, I, and, and now at this moment in my life, I feel like, oh, you know, that's always maybe been the Holy Spirit trying to help me see that I'm, I'm born into a certain place and that my allegiance needs to be not to that place, but to, to the movement of, of God, right? But, I, but it's just so interesting in that moment, like, you know, just just to have this conversation. I mean, it was, it, it was embarrassing, you know, and I mean, I, pre I mean, we're friends, like I appreciate her honesty, but I was like, oh yeah. I mean, the way we read scripture is so conditioned by our lived experience in the world. And, and it's crazy to me that, um, that I feel 
just more emotionally reflexively sorry for the dread, the soldiers drowning in the sea than I ever had for the mothers who had to, you know, sacrifice their babies. So, right. Because I just, I know where, where my people are in the story. And so that's not like, God doesn't hate me. God's not mad at me. It's not, but just like, when we talk about God having a side, I mean, I think it's clear. I mean, in that, you know, anybody who was standing in solidarity with the Hebrews would have known what mark to put on their doorway so that the spirit of God would have passed over. Right. Like it, like, and, and anybody who was saying like, oh, well, should have complied. We have to do law and order, you know, and wouldn't have, I mean, you know, like eventually, I mean, eventually there's a judgment for, um, on, of God on behalf of the powerless. And so we, we need to stand with the poor and powerless, not because we're so virtuous or moral or whatever, but because we know that, that God will be mocked. And I don't think we have to do it perfectly, but you cannot read the biblical record and be confused about where, how this is all going to end. And I think the reality is now you can read it and think like, this isn't true. There is no God. And so ultimately, you know, there's just going to be some kind of post-apocalyptic world where, the very, very rich and powerful are the only ones who survive. And if that's what you think, then yeah, you better put all your chips in that pile. But if you're a person of faith, um, that's not how the story goes down. <laughs> I mean, and that's the whole point of revelation as well. Like mm -hmm. to say, you, it looks like Babylon is unstoppable, but here's the revelation. It's not. So. Yeah. Just think about what the, coronavirus has done here in 2020. I mean, a simple virus. Anyway, yeah. side note, I'm loving the sound of birds in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Always. We still have birds. We should move on. What are you preaching about this week? I am preaching Matthew chapter 8, the story of uh, Jesus and his disciples in a storm-tossed boat. Uh, this, the sermon is entitled, How to Be Brave in Times of Fear. And oh, wow. um, so, um, of course, I'm, I'm referencing all the ways we are afraid um, in this yeah. season. And, you know, I've already mentioned uh, guns and the sheriff saying, you know, this is about fear. I'm mentioning the president's uh, words in the debate about white supremacy. And, you know, that is meant to make us afraid. And, you know, the enemy uses fear. The enemy of our souls uses fear so that we will not live fully and faithfully. We will not live fully and faithfully. And so uh, faith is faith is a kind of bravery. And um, so I'm just going to walk through that story and, um, you know, as church people, there is this reflex. At, at some level, we know we're not supposed to be afraid. And so we, when fear comes up, we, we have this reflex in which we just deny it. We deny that we feel fear. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, I'm just blessed. And let's just get honest. There are there's a storm around us right now, and let's yeah. not pretend that there there that there are not things around us that are making us afraid. Let's let's cut the crap and let's just say, listen. And and I'm going to say, listen. I feel as your pastor, 
that spirit of fear drilling into my heart and my, I feel it, I sense it. And so I'm not knocking the disciples for being afraid. Uh, Matthew uh, in in the Greek uses the word uh, seismos uh, to describe Mm -hmm. the waves, like seismology. Which is like, isn't that the same word for the earthquake at the, yeah. He uses it three times when Jesus died when Jesus rose and here in this boat. I mean, and listen, if I'd been on that boat, I'd have been scared out of my mind too. And it's not that the disciples had no faith. I mean, they had little faith. The faith wasn't as mature as it could have been, but they had some faith. And so listen, they did some things right. They knew who to call. (laughs) They called on Jesus. And so often in the gospels, the disciples refer to Jesus as rabbi, but here mm-hmm. they call him Lord, right? So Lord. When, when you're in a place yeah. of fear, you don't, you don't need a teacher. You need, you need a Lord. And so they know who to call. And yeah. um, Jesus with a word, right, makes the wind and the waves be still. Yeah. And in the Hebrew mind, um, the sea was, was uh, a symbol of chaos, right? So and, in, death. In, yeah. and death. And in the book of Revelation, there's that line that says, and the sea was no more. And people are like, well, there are not going to be any more oceans. No, it means that chaos will be gone. Yeah. And so in this, we get this, this picture of Jesus uh, ending the chaos and, and that we can trust him uh, to end the chaos. So let's not panic. Let's trust Jesus. Um, because even if we... What's that? And the name, because and even name. if we perish in the waters, Jesus has overcome death. And so, man, I should, I should write that down. Cause I'm still writing the sermon. It's like, I just preached the sermon. There we go. You did just preach the sermon. This, this week we had a service of lament on Wednesday night and um, whatever. I can talk about that another time, but, but Elizabeth sang a song um, and it's called Jesus wake up. And the, and it is, all about this idea of like we're in the storm right now and Jesus like wake up and be our Lord and Mm. I should have her send it to you but like it's exactly I mean everything you're talking about just this idea of like being you know being so scared that you tell the truth that you're terrified and then saying like Jesus it you know it feels like you're asleep and I need you to wake up and like it's not like Jesus woke up and got mad at the disciples for disturbing him right I mean it's not like you know there was no you know, there, there was no shame. There was no Jesus. I mean, I know sometimes my kids call on me to do something and I'm like, why can't you just blah, blah, blah. Jesus isn't like that. So I never, you know, <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. I mean, I'm sure you don't, but I do. Yeah. So, well, that's great. That's a good so story. what are you preaching? Well, I'm doing, um, I'm doing, um, we're doing a four part series on Micah six, eight, so we're starting it this week um, with Micah 6, 1 to 8. Um, and, and of course, that's uh, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And so the series is called The Beautiful Way. And, and for each of the next three weeks, we're going to look, you know, really drill into do justice. What is that? Love kindness. What is that? What is kindness? Walking humbly with God. What does that look like? And how are these three things like interactive and, and like, you know, three legs of a stool that you can't do one without doing the others. And, and just that 
this is the way that Jesus calls us to, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. But this week, before we get to all of that, the point is, hey, let's not skip over the beginning, which is, what does the Lord require of you? And this idea that God does require things of us, which I think for many American Christians, that's just so unfathomable because mm. we have raised on cheap grace. And we've been raised on this idea that like God loves us. And because God loves us, we can do whatever we want. And God isn't mad at us because, you know, Jesus has done everything on the cross. And so we are can just sit here and eat bonbons and do whatever we need to do to feel good. Mm. And and, you know, the idea being that grace is not this quality of God that releases us from requirement. Grace is a quality of God that empowers us to fulfill the requirement so that anything that God calls us to do, God gives us everything we need to do it, um, including sometimes, you know, the will <laughs> to do it. Um, but I mean, I just think that that's a fundamental thing and I think that so many Christians are are confused right now about whether or not justice is their problem. And and so, you know, we, we just need to really untangle that knot because um, I think that Jesus has been hijacked by some political agendas. And, and again, like, <clears throat> I'll never, ever, ever tell anyone how to vote because that's not my job. My job is to teach people to um, think biblically and understand the scriptures and then apply it for themselves. But people need to know there are requirements and, and then that God is the one who reveals what those requirements are, not any of God's spokespersons. So that is what we're doing tomorrow. And there was a lot of yelling in that sermon. <laughs> like I finished recording it and I was yeah, like, wow. oh, my throat hurts a little bit. Wow. I might I might have have missed the mark. So So here's one of the great things I like about your preaching is uh, that you will take a simple text and preach it for a whole month. And I try to pack all of those ideas into one 45-minute sermon. And you, with so much wisdom, will say, hey, Let's make this a series and let's walk mm. slowly through the text with the people of God so that they can really soak in it. And um, yeah, well, that's really. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the challenges in the coming weeks, like I'm so, I'm going to obviously center that verse, but I'm going to have to find other texts that when I say like, this is what justice is, there's going to have to be an other text that, you know, I'm not just going to stand up and give my opinion on what justice is because who cares about my opinion? Like it has to be, how do we, how do we look at the witness of scripture and see what, what is justice in God's eyes? What is kindness in God's eyes? And what does walking humbly with God look like from God's perspective? So, so I won't be spending really all month. I'll be using other texts to unpack that one text, which will be confusing. So I appreciate a vote of confidence, but it'll be great. It'll be great. You pull it off all the time. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. God is faithful. What is sufficient for me. Um, Well, we should wrap it up and we're grateful that everybody listened today. If you're still listening, we're we're really grateful. (laughs) And um, I would encourage you definitely to um, Google Derida, D-E-R-I-T-A Presbyterian church in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, Yolanda's doing his cheerleader arms right now and pop over to their website. Um, you can look for the Derida Church podcast podcast on Membeam. It is back Podbeam. in November. Podbeam. 
this is a problem. Membean is a educational website that our children use. Podbean is a podcasting um, website. Podbean, derided church podcast on Podbean. And you will get a lot of sermons from November. Are you up to November yet, buddy? Or you can watch the- I am continue. in 2020 some, at some point. Yeah, I'm just not um, All right. past All the right. spring yet. And uh, you can watch his current sermons on their YouTube channel, the Derrida Church um, channel on YouTube. And if you want to learn more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org um, and you can listen to messages from The Grove at our um, podcast, which is on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, <laughs> The Grove Church Podcast. And um, you can worship with us. Um, we do premiere our service and the live stream is fun at 10 a.m. on Facebook every Sunday. Um, so you can you can come along. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week.